Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Charlotte and Norman. How are you doing today? Doing good. Yeah, very well. Thank you. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Let me just start with a quick introduction for our listeners. Charlotte and Norman are the founders of Grandma Crunch, an alternative cereal packed with proteins and ideal for keto lovers like me. I came across your brand as I switched last year to a keto-based diet and wanted to enjoy a morning cereal. And you have something that's high in protein. 52% and then six to seven grams of net carbs, which is amazing. And there's no sugar. So Charlotte and Norman, tell me a little bit in the past year, there's been an influx of these alternative cereals like magic spoon in the U S which is the most famous. How are you different? What's your core value proposition? Yeah. Um, I mean, magic spoon obviously started in America when we started, there wasn't really any alternatives for us in the EU and the UK. However, there's one key differentiation. It's that we wanted to stay completely plant-based. So Magic Spoon uses whey. Me, myself, I have issues with digestion, with dairy. Um, so we wanted something that was both lactose-free based and basically hit those keto macros. Got you. Charlotte, do you have anything to add from your side? I don't really have much to add to that. I think we wanted to do something similar to the trends that we'd seen in America, but do it better. Um we personally tried Magic Spoon and it wasn't something that I would come and buy myself. So, you know, it was something I I would like the idea of, but it wasn't something I would eat. So we wanted to do the research and development to kind of get something that we would eat, that we do eat actually uh, daily. So I think it, the key thing for me is that, okay, yes, the macros are great, but it also has to taste great as well. So two important things for me. Absolutely, absolutely. You are in an extremely competitive market, you know. How did you identify early that there's a market gap and what did you do to prove that there's a business here? Did you start first with building the product and then figuring out if someone needs it or did you do some market research and then you built the product? Yeah, so that, that was um, quite a big risk actually for this product. We were looking for something that hit those something similar that, and there just wasn't anything on the market. So our market research for looking for a product, um, we had seen it work in America, so we didn't really wait for validation. However, for us to start the business, it was actually a massive investment. So these cereals that run on extrusion equipment that you can't really do in small batches. Um, so on our first order, you know, we had to be certain enough to order, I think it was four and a half tons. So it's a big risk and we didn't do any validation. We just looked at, look, this is what's happening in America. And we looked if there was anyone doing anything similar in the EU, EU or UK and there wasn't. So, yeah. Yeah. We looked a little bit at the target market, right, in America. Yeah. So we knew there were people in the UK that, or people in the UK, UK and EU who matched the demographic and the kind of needs and goals of Americans. So we know that there is going to be some followers of the European market that would match the US demand that the Magic Spoon had and that the other competition over there had. So we knew, I guess, from the beginning that there was a market, but because there was nothing tapping into it 
with this type of product, it was very difficult for us to know who they were, but we knew it was there. Yeah. yeah. Just to quickly add to that. So we wanted something that was slightly higher in protein as well. The research that we had also done was how big of is keto trend in Europe and in the UK, which was significantly less in um, compared to the US. And the other thing is how much breakfast cereal is actually consumed per country. And then how big is the supplement industry in each individual country? And depending on what the metrics were of those three core values, the three core market sizes, that's where we first launched. So there was some decision-making that went into that process. And yeah. Is any one of you a chef or a food gourmet? Because this takes a lot of work and effort to do that, especially when you do come up with the first iteration, it never tastes the way you wanted. <laughs> That's definitely Norman. From Since I met Norman in, what, 2015, Norman has innovated multiple products around me. Um, that's being, you know, in his own kitchen, in the office, wherever he goes. I've seen him do it multiple places, multiple locations, different products. But also, you know, you are a good cook. (laughs) He makes good food anyway. So I think his taste buds are good. Yeah, I think the mixture of kind of food innovation with cooking, as well as the entrepreneurial nature of Norman, I'm speaking for you here, but it was a great match to bring this product successfully to the market. I think she answered everything for this question. So I'll jump a little bit more business oriented. As every DTC operator knows, you know, acquiring customers online is extremely hard and costly. Ads prices keep going up. The privacy updates on iOS is also making it very difficult to retarget. Walk us through your early acquisition strategy. How did you acquire your first hundred customers? Any non-scalable methods you implemented early on? Before we launched, we looked where is our product going to be used um, mainly and who has following there and how can we reach them? So our idea was to work with dietitians and personal trainers because they all have these little micro followings. So before we even launched, we had a, reached out to over 100 or maybe even more, um, around 150 personal trainers offering them free boxes. And we wanted to start communication with them. So a lot of them have been signed up to brand ambassadors, but we also, we consider ourselves a little bit community led. So we were asking for feedback. Hey, what do you think of this? Like, uh, as something for your clients, these are all experts that will have their own diets. So I think they really appreciated the communication between with us. And yeah, so, so obviously they would then give us, you know, their input and uh, many of them would post on, on their social media followings and, and even recommend it to their customers. It was pretty quick to reach those 100 customers following that strategy, which we then added on to our Facebook marketing, which, you know, obviously helps our acquisitions when you have like kind of dual channel of, of both people talking about it and seeing ads, then it was really effective. At start. But it was difficult, right? We couldn't scale it. There was no way... There's a lot of manpower behind uh, reaching out to people. And especially that two-way conversation is really difficult to scale. Yeah, I mean, we had no tools for it. So it was, first of all, just us two. Um, you know, the two of us with our iPhones sat there messaging people on Instagram. And that doesn't scale very well, especially when the conversations become two-way. Um, we had no way to monitor if people had replied to us. We had an automated response, which was a huge mistake because no matter what someone messages you, it's already been read. 
So you've got no idea who's replied to you because the automated responses marked it as read and responded. So <laughs> that didn't help us either. I think it took us quite a while to get those initial messages out, but I think probably it was a good way just to get a couple of people interested and get the initial feedback, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Did you use any template that was successful? Because when you called email fitness trainers, you might do a thousand and a hundred respond. And this is a patient's play, right? Did you uh, experiment with templates and what worked with you? If someone wants to say, hey, I want to, I'm selling, I don't know, a healthy cookie and I want to do the same. Is there a template you would recommend? Yeah. Maybe not necessarily a template, but I mean, I can tell you what worked for us, which was, it kind of depends. It, it depends who you were talking. If we wanted an influencer that was just, you know, we wanted a picture or a video, generally our template looked like, hey, you know, we're Grandma Crunch. This is what we're about. Uh, we'd love to just send you like some free samples. Let us know what you think. And if you like it, then as a thank you, you know, give us a shout out, make a post or a video. And I think we said something like even your feedback would be appreciated. Yeah, you, right? it, it, exactly. The um, most basic response from you would be great for us, basically. <laughs> I think when you're asking someone for their opinion rather than, you know, telling them, hey, you, you know, you're pushing yourself on someone saying, hey, you have to take this for this and this and this reason. I think the, the responses are, are a lot more genuine and also a lot more open. Um yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you were looking up other techniques, which were, to be honest, in the beginning, we had a lot of people just ignoring us. And I think we chose people with large numbers of followers. Obviously, that's what we wanted. We chose people who would have an impact and an influence. However, they're the people who are least likely to reply to you. So um, after a while of doing that, we, we kind of scaled down the number of followers that people had and realize that it doesn't really matter how many followers they have. As long as they're giving us feedback, we can improve and get some kind of reach because some reach is better than no reach. But yeah, the things Norman looked up, I think it was things like you've got to have some initial catchy word or phrase because in their DMs, you've got to stand out. So it could be an emoji. It could be a word, a phrase, something that basically makes them open the message. And that's, that's the key thing. Um, but yeah, like I said, as soon as the followers that they have are like a little bit less, it gets a bit easier. Once like a couple of people have posted it and you started sending out ads, there is a little bit more brand recognition and name recognition. So people are more inclined to start responding. So then you start getting, you know, the accounts with 250,000 and we've had a couple of accounts with a million even reach out to us once they start seeing it. It's very challenging at the beginning because you're sending free samples. You're picking randomly people and your expectation is if I send to that person, one, I want feedback, right? On my product, if it's good or not, but two, I want them to also to share it with their audience. So that becomes like a dance between who do I send to? And is my assumption that this person is the right influencer as well? And it costs, right? If you're a founder, you're early on, you're putting your money on the line. Who do you send yeah. it to? It's, it's a dance, right? Have, have you faced this early on? We kind of had to let go, you know, oh, every time you're losing money, if you look at the economics behind it, so well, it costs us like 15 to 20 euros to send to someone. And then you have an average margin of like 30%. So you kind of need to have like two or three purchases just to break even. If you hit the right personal trainer that, you know, has a thousand clients, even 10% of them start picking it up. It, it becomes like the mass is there for us. But yeah, it's, it is always difficult like to gift and, and not knowing if you will get a return. 
there's no guarantee in it. I think we did something quite smart, which was we tried to find the PTs, the personal trainers of influencers. So like large following influencers, people who are like reality TV stars and things, they obviously work out and they post like thank yous to their PTs. So quite easily you can get in touch with their PT who doesn't have that many followers because they're just a medium-sized PT entrepreneur. So they're the ones that we were kind of targeting a little bit as well. And that worked well. I don't know if we ever get through to the actual influencer themselves. One of them reached out to us, which was quite cool. Yeah, we had a, yeah, yeah, we had two of them. Yeah. Yeah, Would you incentivize the personal trainer when they become an ambassador that they would get a cut so that they sell more of your products or it's just because it's a product they believe in? We prefer it to be a product they believe in. <laughs> it's obviously much better when it's naturally coming from them. I think there's so much of that on Instagram now where people are paid to post or gifted to post and they're given the text or they're given a script. And therefore, it's really obvious that they've been given that script. It's not very natural. So it's obviously better when people do it from their own opinion and from really liking the product. But Makes we do sense. have an ambassador scheme, so we do both. <laughs> Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So as a company, one of your goals pretty much is to optimize your revenue. You want to sell more. If you look at it from first principles, you can do it through two ways, right? Either you increase your average order value. So a customer would buy more stuff. And I see that you've added some SKUs, more flavors, uh, or you would increase your reorder rate. One customer, then they order multiple times. One of the many techniques that are deployed to increase the reorder rate is like a rewards or loyalty program. Have you done anything of that sort for the customer or do you have other tactics that you're going to deploy to optimize your revenue today? Yeah, we haven't done. So like you said, what the first thing for e-commerce is, you know, let's get your average order value up. Like it's difficult to make an e-commerce work with anything low, you know, because of the shipping and the handling and the, issues that we're all aware of. So yeah, just like you said, we've added a completely new range uh, and we've seen an increase in average order value from there. From there on, we're going to start adding other product variations, not just different flavorings. For loyalty, we are coming up with a quite in-depth scheme that's coming up soon, um, which will be point-based. We're working a lot on storytelling and really improving the informational side of our website and increasing our, the branding. With that, there will be like merchandise and other things that will be coming on. So there will be unique drops that you'll be able to get only with those points. For now, the only loyalty system that we have is basically for orders, you get a 20% discount. So we have an automated Clavio flow that basically gives you a stamp after each order. So it's a bit like a coffee shop. And that one has been doing quite well. But yeah. Great. Thank you for sharing this. If we move a little bit down to the checkout, and we know that checkout abandonment is a big issue in D2C e-commerce companies. What did you learn early on from your first 100 customers on conversions, on optimizations? Any strategies that you deployed early on to make sure people don't leave their cart, abandon it, and then don't come back? I don't think we did much early on, to be honest, did we? No, we just kind of trusted. Um, we were running on Shopify. So we're like on the basic version of Shopify. So just to keep our costs low, we didn't really do much development there. 
we played around with things like shipping prices and uh, free shipping over a certain amount. Um, oh, that's true. Bundling, which payment processes we had connected. So we had like PayPal at the start, Amazon Pay, Shop Pay, and those all impacted those conversion rates. So yeah. yeah, we kind of just decided PayPal has significant costs associated with it. So even though adding PayPal did increase conversions, in the end, we actually decided to get rid of it because it didn't make sense for us. Yeah. And I think there's still improvements we can make now. So we know that things like um, estimated arrival times for your parcel can really help conversion rates because people are really excited that it's going to arrive on this day and they can picture it happening and it's more like reality. I think there's more of a commitment in the customer's head. The branding, I guess, at checkout, I don't think we actually had any at the beginning, but it's just things that I don't think we even realized we needed to do, to be honest. We were very, very kind of early days and winging it, you could say. We had some experience with our with a previous e-commerce, but when we launched Grandma Crunch, it was all about, you know, we've got so much stock that we need to sell. We have to use ads. So we kind of forgot about the checkout on the website and optimizing for a while and focus on the ads just to, to see if they would get us some revenue, which they were. So it was our first time using ads and that was quite exciting for us. So potentially we were a bit distracted by that <laughs> at the time. That's great. So how did you come up with the name Grandma Crunch? <laughs> it's a good question. I have a sketchbook somewhere where we went through so many different names, but I think we wanted to do something like, um, we wanted it to be helping people to be healthy. And we were thinking well, what kind of character would portray that. And we wanted it to be kind of nostalgic. So we had all these key terms. We wanted nostalgia. We wanted fun. Um, we wanted a character. We wanted it to be someone who is focused on health. So what came to mind was, you know, as a family, there are certain people that you take care of and you want them to be healthy and eat well and grandmas are the ones that are, you know, stereotypically known for feeding you, being the feeders, for giving you really hearty food. So stuff that helps you grow up strong as, you know, when you're a kid. So I think that's where our brains kind of lent towards whilst we were coming yeah. up with all these different ideas. And then because all the samples were like so crunchy, we had to have the word crunch in there. Also, <laughs> if you're following a keto diet, you know, crunch is something that you're missing. So that was like one of the other side of what we really wanted. Yeah. So yeah. The, the texture for us was the most important because yeah, you can't get it. Yeah. Cause all the keto products, you know, like cheese, bats, you can't Nuts. have the, you can't have the crunchy carbs that you miss the crisps and other stuff. So we thought, yeah, if it's in the name, people can't mistake it for something soft. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's a mixture of the nostalgia, the looking after your, youngsters as a grandma and yeah and the crunch of the product itself amazing i love it are you real partners or just partners at work by the way oh no we're real partners but yeah um, saying that you know most of the time we do work <laughs> so <laughs> time together is working. <laughs> that's my next question right i mean anxiety is almost with every entrepreneur and it makes even harder when you're running things with your partner how do you actually deal with such pressure and how are you able to split between your business work and your personal life? I think we still haven't quite figured it out. <laughs> no, it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, both of us love 
working for the business so much that it doesn't feel like work all the time. Sometimes it does. And there are days where it's like, wow, I can't wait for this day to be over. But I would say actually a lot of the time, because it doesn't feel like an old nine to five job, for example, we're both very passionate about it. We've not had too many problems so far. I think it's it's more about, you know, sometimes you've got to decide, okay, on the weekends or at this time of the day, we're going to finish, no more work, laptops away and switch into, you know, second mode, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, the other mode. <laughs> amazing, amazing. It is hard indeed. One last question. What's next for Grandma Crunch? Oh, I mean, there's we've got uh, so, so many ideas. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you a little bit about our new version that's coming out. So we're constantly taking feedback. So we actually... We, you know, we don't want to just rip you off and sell you a product that you don't enjoy. So we actually have like um, a guarantee. If you don't like it, you know, just send us a, an email and we'll refund you. However, we do ask you for a little bit of help. And that is we have like a type form and we want to know your feedback so that we can work on new iterations. Our newest version, we do keto diets, not constantly, but we do them once a year. And on our last version, we really struggled to stay within our um, under 20 grams of carbohydrates. So for us, grammar crunch is still a little bit too high in carbohydrates and the fat level was a little bit too low. So taking that feedback from our own experience and working together with all the feedback forms, we're launching like a new version, which is going to be, you know, down to 12% carbohydrates, which is pretty much like the best that we've seen. And it tastes amazing. So, yeah. That's great. I'm the first buyer for this. Are you planning to go big and raise money? Because <laughs> you have potential with this brand in the UK. Yeah, um, we're already looking at raising money. It's been something we wanted to do for a while because it's quite a cash-intensive business, ordering such large quantities of stock and spending a lot of money on growth. So the cash flow has been a struggle. We've had multiple times you know, where we've asked for extensions for payments and things like that, which I know is normal for a startup. But it would help us to get some funding whilst we're in the growth phase. We've got other products we've got ideas for. So we definitely want to grow not just our audience, but our product range and become much bigger. We want to go over to America. But right now, I think we're focused on the UK, the EU. We've, we've got a little bit over to, to like Dubai and some places overseas, but we haven't gone too far yet. We've got big plans, though. Charlotte and Norman, thank you for being part of our show. You have an amazing brand and branding and a very tasty cereal. So I wish you the best of luck and uh, hopefully you, you will grow beyond the UK as well. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 